You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. times we've been faced with problems and difficulties and troubles in our life's experience and God gets us through them and we think we've you know finally you know have turned the corner and then all of a sudden only to find out that guess what we also have jumped out of the proverbial frying pan and into the fire now we have to face another series of difficult circumstances so the point that I'm trying to make is yes Life is difficult, even for the best of Christians. Life, no matter who you are, can be incredibly difficult at times. Even the most faithful and blessed believers will experience seasons of trouble and tragedy. Today, Pastor Mike will explain that though life can be hard and trials can seem to just keep hitting you, you're not alone in these seasons. God is with you through everything you're going through. He's present. He loves you and will care for you. And in the end, he will bring some good out of your trials. Don't lose heart. Cling tightly to Jesus. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 20 as he begins his message, Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire. chapter 20. So turn there with me. The title is, Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire. Let me say that again. Out of the Frying Pan and Into the Fire. And this chapter before us here in chapter 20 is a stark reminder of how difficult and confusing life can be even for the best of God's children. None of us are exempt from problems and troubles in our life's experience. But listen, and this is the bottom line that I hope that each and every one of us will come to, the only remedy is acquired by staying close to God, staying in his word, and taking advantage of any and all resources that he has made available to us. So please keep those things in mind. Okay, let me set up this Bible study for you. Let's look back a little bit. David's army has defeated his son Absalom, and those who had joined together to topple the king's reign. They were almost successful in their coup attempt, driving David and his loyalists out of the city of Jerusalem. He actually did force them into exile, that is, Absalom and his troops. But ultimately, as Absalom's army pursuing David, finally he caught up with him, and Absalom and his troops were outmaneuvered by David's troops. And they were defeated, soundly defeated. 
And the king's son, Absalom, according to our text in chapter 18, was killed. Now, all of a sudden, all of those who were in league with Absalom, all of a sudden, after his death, after they had been thoroughly routed by David's general and troops, all of a sudden, the people who have aligned themselves with Absalom have a change of heart. And all of a sudden, they cannot believe what they had chosen to do. And so now, what we have before us here in, this, in the latter couple of verses of chapter 19 and also throughout chapter uh, 20 is the reinstatement of David as Israel's king once again. And so, what would we guess? Everyone lives happily ever after. But you know what? I think for most people, there's no such thing as a living happily there uh, after. We would expect that here in our text, right, after what had taken place and, and Absalom being soundly uh, defeated. But you see, David is about to jump out of the proverbial frying pan and into the fire. Can you relate to that? You know how many times we've been faced with problems and difficulties and troubles in our life's experience and God gets us through them and we think we've you know, finally you know, have turned the corner and then all of a sudden only to find out that guess what? We also have jumped out of the proverbial frying pan and into the fire. And now we have to face another series of difficult circumstances. So the point that I'm trying to make is yes, Life is difficult, even for the best of Christians. Now, what we have here is another attempt to divide the nation. Okay, let's back up a little bit. We've already talked about this in one of our previous messages, but just to serve us as a reminder and also set the platform for this study. Notice, let's go back to the previous chapter in chapter 19 and in verse 40. Let's read there in verse 40. Now, the king that is David, went on to Gilgal. We're familiar with this particular location. Remember, Gilgal was the headquarters during the conquest of the nation of uh, Canaan by God's people. Now, the king went on to Gilgal, David, and we are told and introduced to last time a fellow whose name was Chimim. And uh, remember, Chimim was David's friend, Barzillai's son. And so he went on with David there to Gilgal, and all the people of Judah escorted the king and also half the people of Israel. Now, once again, I would remind you, David at this point is, is about to be reinstated as Israel's king. So at Gilgal, David is to be reinstated as Israel's king, as I just mentioned, and the inauguration committee includes, according to verse 40, go back to verse 40 there, all the people of Judah and half the people of Israel. So all of the 12 tribes are involved, at least in part, in this reinstatement. Sort of like a, a coronation, if you will, of David. But listen, any jubilation at David's reinstatement is drowned out by the verbal altercation that takes place between the men of Israel and the men of Judah. First of all, we have Israel, the men of Israel. And notice what they declare in verse 41. Let's go ahead and read that once again. Just then all the men of Israel came to the king, David, and said to the king, Why have our brethren, 
the men of Judah, stolen you away, and brought the king, his household, and all David's men with him across the Jordan River. So here, notice, Israel is suggesting, the men of Israel, the ten tribes, are suggesting that you, that is Judah, have stolen David away for personal reasons and gain. Now, Judah responds to this indictment, and notice there in verse uh, 42 we read, So all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative of ours. Remember, David was uh, out of the tribe of Judah himself. Why then are you angry over this matter? Have we ever eaten at the king's expense, or has he given us any gift? In other words, what they're saying is, listen, just because David is from the same tribe as us, the tribe of Judah, we've never taken advantage uh, of that uh, position. So that was their uh, response. Now remember last time I had suggested that having been disloyal uh, to David, that is when uh, Judah, uh, rather Absalom, had stolen the hearts of the people uh, from his father uh, David, Judah jumped on Absalom's bandwagon. And here, Judah now is overcompensating, trying to show David how loyal that they actually were. And so notice, they make their appeal to David because he is one of their own, one of their own tribe, that is, out of the tribe of Judah. You know what, you know what this whole thing sounds like? It sounds like a sibling rivalry to me. You know, I remember my kids growing up and, you know, fighting one with another and, you know, jockeying for a position. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who has mom and dad's favor? And, you know, just all that crazy stuff. And, and really, I think... What's going on here is just nothing less than a sibling rivalry between the ten tribes of Israel and the two tribes of Judah. And so this has all the trappings of a disaster. Because listen, in any adversary relationship, interpersonal ties can become strained and friction may erupt in open hostility. And gang, this is exactly what happened there at Gilgal. Okay, well, let's read that final verse in chapter 20, verse 43. And the men of Israel, again, they're kind of jockeying for position. They're debating one another. They're infuriated with one another. They're angry with one another. They're bringing these indictments against one another. And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the king, uh, suggesting that, you know, concerning the ten tribes. So they had a greater portion, as it were, uh, with David because of their uh, being members of the ten tribes. Therefore, we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise bringing back our uh, king? Remember, it was the tribes of, of Israel who moved to reinstate David, whereas the tribes of Judah were kind of dragging their feet. I I, I guess they were embarrassed, seeing how that David was one of them, and they were the last to reinstate David or to acknowledge David as as their king. I guess they felt kind of guilty that they had aligned themselves with Absalom. They felt guilty. They were were embarrassed by that. And so they were very slow uh, to act. Yet the words, notice it says, yet the words, verse 43, 
of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Now notice in this conversation that these men had with one another, notice all of the we's, that common possessiveness found among the young and the immature, because it's all about me. Uh, the world revolves around me, and it's, it's really just a, an, a terrible display of selfishness on both their parts. Listen, Israel knew what they wanted. What did they want? They wanted a greater recognition in their role in reinstating David as their king with the promise of David's favor in the future. But listen, the truth be told, their supposed desire to honor David had nothing to do with honoring David, but rather exalting self. And therein lies that uh, selfishness. But Judah is outraged by such sentiments and failed to take note of the warning signs that are inherent in the words that had been spoken to them. And unfortunately, an argument breaks out. And notice there in verse 43, go back to verse 43 for a moment. It says, the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. You know, they could have worked this out if they would have just chosen their words a little bit more carefully. You see, what should have been resolved with kind words and a gracious response is about to escalate into a full-blown civil war. Now, let me give you a couple of cross-references that I want to share with you as it relates to the way that we resolve our conflicts, interpersonal relationships with other people. By using the correct speech, the words that we speak, you know, we can either build up another individual or tear them down. We can soothe them, we can comfort them, or we can infuriate them. And that's exactly what's going on here. Obviously, they infuriated one another. But let me give you a couple of cross-references here. Here's some counsel for us. In the 141st Psalm, in verse 3, there we are told, set a guard. In other words, be careful. Be careful. Let God speak through you. Choose your words carefully. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lip. i got to tell you something. This is very difficult for people who live in New York City, right? Because we're, we're very quick to respond and to, to speak. And we don't often choose our words carefully. You know, we, we're known for speaking our minds. I don't know if that's a really good thing or not, you know. It, sometimes it gets us into more trouble than we should have gotten in, right? But anyway, some wise counsel. Let me give you another cross-reference. This one is from the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom in chapter 16 and verse 32. He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit that he who takes a city. You know, there's this poem that I found that I think is appropriate here, and I want to pass it along to you. The author, it's an old poem. i got to tell you something. I was looking through my notes and my files, and I just found it, and I don't even know who wrote it. Actually, in the heading, it says author unknown. So I don't, I don't even know where I got it from, but I think that it, it, it just applies very appropriately here. And it goes like this. A careless word may kindle strife, a cruel word may wreck a life. A bitter word may hate and still. A brutal word may smite and kill. A gracious word 
may smooth the way. A joyous word may light the day. A timely word may lessen stress. A loving word may heal and bless. Isn't that cool? But you know what? It's so very, very true. That's some really good uh, counsel and instruction uh, here uh, for us. So it's so very, very important the words that we choose to use when we're addressing another, having an interpersonal uh, relationship uh, problem. You know, when I, when I was putting this message together, I couldn't help but the record that's recorded for us in the book of Judges. In fact, I'm going to ask you to quickly turn with me there. And in our cast of characters there in chapter 8, so in the book of Judges in chapter 8, in verses 1 through 3, and what we have here is the record of Gideon defeating the armies of the Midianites. Now, God had counseled Gideon, gave him the plan, the blueprint on how to successfully destroy uh, the Midianites. Remember the pictures with the, with the flames in them and blowing the trumpets and the 300 men and divided into three companies of people? Well, that's exactly what they did. And when Gideon gave the sign, he was the first one with his company. Remember, the 300 were broken up into three companies of 100 each, and they surrounded the camp of the Midianites. They had their pitchers in their hands with the fire uh, within them, sort of like a light within the pitcher. And at the same time that Gideon blew his trumpet, all, and all of the 300 were armed with trumpets. I don't even know where they got 300 trumpets from, it, you know, but they did, nevertheless. Well, anyway, they all blew the trumpets at the same time, and then they broke the pitchers, and the light shone round about the camp of the Mina, so that they, they thought that they were surrounded on all sides. And so in all of the confusion, they turned against themselves in fighting, and they killed one another. And so a great victory was given them uh, that day. But at the same time, some of the other tribes of Israel came down, and they also fought against the Midianites and tracked them down because they were in flight now, the Midianites. In fact, it's interesting because we're, we're told concerning the Midianites that they were as great a company of people as lotuses you know, uh, in a field. So you can only imagine how many of that they were. I mean, Israel was outnumbered, outgunned, for sure. There was only 300 of them. But anyway, Gideon, before he even went forth and put his plan into the plan that God had given him into motion, he sent messengers throughout all of the tribes, and ultimately they showed up. But they didn't show up for the initial, initial uh, battle. And so some of them were offended by that. So with that said, let's pick up now in chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. And I want you to see how careful Gideon was in addressing those who brings this to their attention. They were offended. They wanted the recognition for the victory over the Midianites. Verse 1, now the men of Ephraim, and this was the problem that David was, uh, not David, but Gideon was having in this confrontation, the men of Ephraim, said to him, Gideon, why have you done this to us by not calling us when you went to fight with the Midianites? Again, looking for recognition. Before the battle even began, why didn't you wait for us? And they reprimanded him sharply. Okay, so Gideon's back up against the wall. How is he going to respond? Well, he was to respond the way that we've been encouraged to respond in those two verses of Scripture that we've just shared with you, one from the book of Psalms and one from the book of Proverbs. Now, notice the wisdom here. 
So he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? I mean, you're accomplished. In other words, what he's suggesting is, listen, your accomplishments were so much greater than, than ours. And if you read the couple of verses of Scripture in chapter 7, leading up to chapter 8, verse 1, you find that the men of Ephraim, you know, in fact, uh, chased down the Midianites who were on flight, who were in flight, and they actually captured the two princes of the Midianites, Arab and Zeb. Notice there the mention of them in verse 25 of the previous chapter. And so notice uh, Gideon makes reference to that. So he said to them, what have I done now in comparison with you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Abizir or the, uh, from the tribe of Manasseh? And uh, Gideon was a member of that tribe of uh, Manasseh. God has delivered into your hands. So again, he's suggesting that your accomplishment was greater than ours. He's given them the recognition that they were looking for. Notice, he's being a peacemaker here. He's using a lot of wisdom. God has delivered into your hands the princes of Midian, Arab, and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison with you? Then notice the response of this now. And so if you're looking to mend fences in those interpersonal broken relationships, I want you to notice here the result of which was then their anger toward him subsided when he said that. Wow, what a lesson to learn, right? So pick and choose your words carefully, gang. It's so important. Now, that leads up to our chapter 20. So let's go on now and read verse 1, chapter 20. And there happened to be there a rebel, right when David was to be reinstated by the tribes, all of a sudden there appears upon the scene this fellow in our cast of characters, a fellow whose name is Sheba. And uh, this is the first time that we're introduced to this fellow here in the scriptures. He happened to be there. The son of Bikri, he was a Benjamite, so he was from, from the tribe of Benjamin. And he blew a trumpet and said, we have no share in David, nor do we have inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, oh, Israel. So, what's going on here? Well, Israel's anger is now about to be exploited by an opportunist whose name is Sheba. You know, G. Campbell Morgan, who's one of my favorite uh, writers, expositors, G. Campbell Morgan, he's known as the Prince of Preachers, by the way. He said concerning this, this phrase that we have recorded there for us in verse 1, we have no share in David, nor do we have any inheritance in the son of Jesse. This had actually become an effective slogan promoted by this man, this opportunist, Sheba. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of 2 Samuel. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. You can listen online, just go to the Resources tab. Otherwise, you can find them on oneplace.com. 
and search for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You get directions and service times at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you happen to have any questions for us, give us a call at 212-247-1877. That number again is 212-247-1877. You can connect with us on Facebook and Instagram too. Just follow the links on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. There's a place for